Good morning, friends. It's great to be with you on this Sunday morning, sharing church with you online. I'd like to share a proverb to begin my sermon today. And it's from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 to 34. I passed by the field of the one who was lazy, by the vineyard of a stupid one, and see, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed warrior. We're in the middle, friends, of a sermon series on stewardship. And over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at, at different elements of the way we, we care for or look after the things that God has given us. See, stewardship is an ethic that embodies the responsible planning and management of our resources. Stewardship is ultimately an affirmation that all of life is a gift from God and that God's grace envelops all that we have and receive. So stewardship points beyond our own efforts and energies to maintain things, instead towards an acknowledgement that all of life is a gift from God. That our very existence is a gift of grace from the God who created all. Today, we'll be exploring how we look after and care for our time. And the sermon for today is called, It's About Time. Which could be said in a number of different ways, isn't it? It's about time. It's about time. So if we're to be caretakers and stewards of our time, as a recognition that is it a gift from God, we must consider how we utilize and spend the time that we have. Now, isn't it curious and fascinating that culturally we've got a whole bunch of really interesting sayings about time, which I'm sure you know stacks them. Like, take your time. I'm running out of time. I don't have time. Time is money. How are you going to spend your time? As human beings, we've measured time from the very beginning of all things. Humanity has observed the way that our earth changes and we call those changes seasons. We noticed that there were a daytime and a nighttime. And we developed these ideas around months and years, and we started to measure time. And as we move forward and forward in history, we started to mechanize time, and we put times on clocks on buildings. And then the time went to our wristwatches, and time went to our computer screens, and then to our smartphones 
we are surrounded by time measuring devices. In the 21st century, our films have a fascination with time. There's lots of films about time travel, films about reliving the same day over and over again. This fascination with, can we alter the future? Like if we went back in time, could we change the events of the future for good and make a difference in our world? If only we could change time. Historically, we love to think about our place in time as human beings. However, the one truth about time is this. It only moves in one direction. We can't change time. We can't go back in time as much as we might like to. We are in the flow of time, always moving forward. Yes, time can be relative, can't it? Depending on what experiences we're having. Yet the way we measure time at the moment is that there is 24 hours in a day, 60 minutes in an hour, 60 seconds in a minute. Time is always measured in that way. But yet our experience of time can be vastly different depending on what we're doing. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? When you're doing things that you love and enjoy doing, time can just vanish so quickly because you're having so much fun. Conversely, time can feel forever when life is difficult and challenging and we're facing hard things. Time can seem to drag. There is only one who is outside of time, and that is God. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote this beautiful illustration of God's relationship to time. Lewis writes, if you picture time as a straight line along which we have to travel, then you must picture God as the whole page on which the line is drawn. We come to parts of the line one by one. We have to leave point A behind before we go to point B. And we can't reach C until we leave B behind. God, from above or outside or all around, contains the whole line and sees it all. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? That our timelines are drawn upon the presence of God, that God surrounds our timeline, is a part of our timeline, but also sees above it, beyond it, within it, around it. God is around it all. But we are bound to time, as Lewis says, a sequence going in this direction. But that doesn't mean that we are just doing nothing with the time we have, because what we do now 
can directly affect what will happen in our future. I can't preach this sermon this morning without taking time in the past to do the research, to do the prayer work, to do the writing, to do the editing. All these things have happened in the past that make it possible for me to stand here today. If I want to become a better basketball player, and I really want to, I have to practice. And I practice my skills now so that in the future, I will be a better player. We do this all the time. The things that we do today do impact what will happen in our futures. We can't move ahead to those futures immediately. We have to live along the time line that we are following. But what we do today does impact what happens in our future. So when we consider this idea of making the most of our time, we often equate that with efficiency and effort. That we've got to get the most out of what we're doing in the quickest amount of time possible in the most efficient way so that we can then move on to the next thing. How many diaries are crammed with appointments to fulfill and people to see, events to get to, places to go, work to get done? Our task lists can be endless. And our culture celebrates being busy. It gives honour to those who are busy. We're told to wear our busyness as a badge of honour that those who are busy are important. And the busy you are, the more important you must be. And our culture wants us to cram as much as we can into our lives to keep us busy and moving. Yet, is this what God is calling us to be as his people? As followers of Jesus, are we being called to busyness and full diaries? What are we to do with the time that we have that moves in only one direction, forward? How are we to care for the time that we have? And if our time is a result of God's grace and gift, what are we to do? with the time that we have. Well, to help guide us and frame these questions for us, I thought what better place to go than to the Gospels and to the life of Jesus and to see how did Christ spend his time on earth? What did he do with the time that was given to him? And when we look at the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus and how he spent his time here on earth, we notice something really amazing. The majority of the transformational work that happens through Jesus happens while he is on the way to somewhere else. 
when Jesus is traveling to a town, heading to a synagogue, going to meet friends. All of these moments seem to also have these additional times where Jesus is interrupted and this person comes across his path and he meets them with grace and humility and hope. It could be described as a ministry on the way. That while Jesus is going somewhere else, unrelated, there is an opportunity for ministry to happen. And we see it over and over again. Just three examples I'd like to give to you this morning. In Luke 19, the well-known story of, of Zacchaeus up a tree. That the tax collector who's ripping off everybody in the community. What we forget about this story is that the Zacchaeus encounter happens when Jesus is traveling through that town. He hasn't organized a meeting with Zacchaeus because he's heard about his deceitful ways. Instead, he's going to another town and Jesus comes across Zacchaeus and has a meal with him. And within the context of the time and culture of Jesus, makes Zacchaeus his equal. And as a result of that meal, Zacchaeus gives back all that he has stolen and is restored to community through this meal with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, just after Jesus has finished the, the seminal Sermon on the Mount, He's traveling down the mountain to Capernaum, another town, and a centurion interrupts his travel and tells Jesus of his sick daughter and says, if you say the word, I know she can be healed. And we're told that Jesus heals this daughter without going anywhere at all else. But this interruption on the road becomes a ministry moment. Similarly, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is at a house teaching and preaching and sharing good news stories when suddenly the roof caves in and a paralyzed man is lowered down by his friends, totally interrupting this key teaching moment of Jesus. And yet, it is a profound time again where this paralyzed man is restored to community. It's a moment of hope and restoration for that man. But these are only three examples of a, a much bigger sample of the life and ministry of Christ. And what begins to emerge as we observe the ministry and movement of Jesus is that he has a willingness to allow the interruptions of the few to become moments of restoration, hope, community, and transformation. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in entire management or efficiency of messaging. The one who arrives to meet him in faith is received with hospitality and welcome and sent on their way again, changed, restored, renewed. And we observe this again and again and again. 
Jesus was intensely focused upon the individuals that crossed his path. Those random encounters with people on the way somewhere else were important people to Jesus. Jesus even teaches this way in three parables that are uh, neatly sit together in Luke 15. He's in a room teaching the Pharisees and religious leaders about the kingdom of God. And he tells three parables in a row, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and a third about a lost son, or we call it the prodigal son in our stories. And each of these parables are radical reversals on what normal behavior would be expected in that day and age. The parable about the lost sheep where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one was ludicrous to the first world, ridiculous. You wouldn't leave your entire flock to go and find one sheep. It puts the entire flock at risk. And yet Jesus says that he's the shepherd that pursues the lost one, that the one is important to Jesus. And then when he tells the parable of the woman with the lost coin, she has 10 coins, loses one, and pulls her whole house apart to try and find the one coin. When she finds the coin, she doesn't then put it with the other 10 and and say, yep, I've got my 10 coins again. Instead, she brings everybody and celebrates, holds a party and says, I've found this coin again. It's an opportunity for celebration and community and hospitality. And of course, in the parable of the lost son, when the wayward son returns after his uh, life spending all of his inheritance on the road, the father welcomes the one back in and has a party for him. When the elder son refuses to come in and join the party, the father goes out to meet that one again to encourage him to come in to celebrate. For Jesus, time is best spent pursuing the one. It's not an economic use of time or an efficient use of time, but it's a reminder that Jesus, and indeed God's kingdom, is a movement that does not conform to our expectations of what we should or shouldn't be doing with our time. Intentionality, concern, investment and interest in the one is of paramount importance to Jesus. Our schedules and planners and goals and ideas about the future need to be held lightly within this context because we might just get an interruption that is a unique moment of ministry. We might get an interruption that is in fact a calling from God to care compassion, restoration, hope, peace, and justice. Jesus, as he always does, flips so many cultural norms upon their heads. The way of Jesus is the upside-down kingdom, where the last are first and the first are last, where the isolated are welcomed in, where the oppressed receive justice, and where the ones who are left out become included. Jesus' ministry on the way allowed the one who arrived to Jesus to not be viewed as an interruption or an inconvenience, but as an opportunity 
to express God's welcome and wide kingdom to those who came in faith. Rather than prioritizing the many, whilst Jesus did certainly preach and teach and minister to the many, he also had an intense focus upon the few, the ones who came to him in faith. Jesus simply saw things from the perspective of God. He saw the entire landscape. He knew the lay of the land. And when we see things from God's perspective, it changes how we view other people. We see them in a new light. We view them as unique people in the eyes of God and valuable to God's kingdom. To help illustrate this point today, I'd love to show you a short film called The Starfish Thrower. And this will help illustrate beautifully the kingdom values of pursuing the one. Let's watch The Starfish Thrower. One day, a man was walking along the beach when he noticed a boy picking up starfish and throwing them into the ocean. Approaching the boy, he asked, Excuse me, but what are you doing? The boy replied, Throwing starfish back into the ocean. The sun is rising and the tide is going out. If I don't throw them back, they'll die. The man laughed to himself and said, But there's too many starfish on this beach. You can't possibly make a difference. After listening politely, the boy bent down, picked up another starfish and threw it into the ocean. Then turning to the man, he said, I made a difference to that one. It's a great story, isn't it? Sometimes the claims that Jesus makes upon us as his people will seem baffling to the wider community and culture around us. The way of forgiveness, radical love, generosity, hospitality and justice for the oppressed. In many ways, our culture and context is like that man walking along the beach, watching this boy toss starfish back into the ocean and our culture seeing there's just way too many starfish here. You can't possibly get them all back to their homes, back into the sea. What difference can you possibly make? Our culture says. Yet the boy's response to the man walking on the beach is beautiful and profound and Christ-like. When the man wants him to know, what difference are you making? The boy can pick up the single starfish and throw it back into the ocean and say, what well, made a difference to that one? It made a difference to that one. How much more valuable are people than starfish? Sounds like a gospel story I've heard before. We all have the capacity to bring light, hope, grace, peace and joy to one 
We each know people who could use good news. And we can use our time to bring that to them. There's no doubt that the ministry of Jesus and the use of his time points to the significance of meeting the one on the road, meeting the interruption, meeting the randomness as an opportunity to show God's love and grace. Robert L. Smith, in his book, A Quaker Book of Wisdom, writes, The present is all that there is. It is holy ground. So how will you use the time that you have? Who is the one in your world? Who could you reach out to in love? Is there a phone call that you could make? A text message you could send? A Zoom conversation that you could set up? A letter that you could write? Is there a coffee that you could have with someone across the fence that you know? Where is the holy ground that God is calling you to? This moment, this day, this time. The Gospels and the life of Jesus teach us about the power of reaching out to those in love who we meet. So friends, may you be aware of the one in your world. May you make a difference to that one. May you reach out in love to those who you experience on the road. May you discover the holy ground that you are sitting on or standing on right now. May your time be given over to the grace of God. And in turn, may you be one who brings God's light and hope and justice and peace to your world. May you go in peace this day, my friends, to serve God in every way possible, in those random moments, in those everyday moments. May God bless you this day. May you experience the holy ground of right now and the transformational opportunity of the one. Bless your friends. Amen.